to kind of give you an idea here of, of what's happening in Amos. Amos is, is a minor prophet of God, and this is during an interesting time in the history of Israel. And this is a lament, okay? A lament in Scripture, or like what we're seeing here. This is basically, if this will help you, this is a funeral song. Okay, this is this is a mourning song. This is something where God is calling his people back to repentance and back to life because they're dead. It's, it's literally like something you would hear, and this is a weird way of putting it because we don't necessarily do it like this now in our funerals. But it's basically like you went to a funeral and this is what would be sung over the dead person. So this is a very interesting portion of scripture because we have to kind of understand a little bit about the, the context of it. And so this is a lament. This is a call of repentance. And this is what it says in Amos 5.4. And I, I kind of cut it up a little bit just to make sense of it. But 5.4b, 5a, and 6a. And this is basically what it says. It says, seek me and live. This is God speaking. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. And then we jump to verse 6. Seek the Lord and live. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we need you. And I need you right now. Father, as we talk about these things, Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit desires to show each and every one of us. God, you're so good. And so, Father, I pray that as I share, God, that you would help me to communicate in a way that you would desire for me to communicate. That, Father, that you would, that my words would cease and that your words would begin. Father, I need you, your help. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me to communicate and you would help us to open our ears and our hearts to what you desire to share with us this morning. Father, I believe that you have placed this word on my heart for this moment in time. And Father, I pray that you would just help as we do these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, let's kind of jump into this. Now, this, this first part especially is going to be more of a teaching kind of thing. I want to explain a little bit kind of what's happening here. Why does God specifically name these places and things like that? But uh, basically, as we kind of get into this, I, I want to first start with this. I want to talk about the problem with dwelling on the past. Now... A lot of times when I put these things together, I, I will put a lot of emphasis on certain words that I'm using, especially in the notes. And if you haven't figured this out, like um, a, little, a lot of times one of those important words, sometimes I will, um, I will underline it and make you fill it in because I kind of want you to catch it. And the word here on this first point is the word of dwelling. Okay, I want to talk about dwelling and I want you to understand what this is about so that we don't misunderstand and miss what God wants us to understand. So the idea here is this idea of the problem with dwelling on the past. The definition that I looked up to find about dwelling, it says this, to live or stay or to linger over and emphasize. Okay. Now, this is not a, a message, and I think you're going to see more here in a second of what I'm talking about, about the past being bad or wrong or, or, or something of that nature. This is about the problem with dwelling there. What I mean by that is this concept of living there. Okay, The process of basically setting up roots and staying there, and no matter what God wants to do or is doing, we kind of just dwell there. We live there. We don't leave there. And so God here in this lament is very interesting. He says, seek me and live. He's, he's expressing his desire for his people to seek him and to experience him. And so in this, he begins to say, he lists three different places where basically he says, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to seek there. I don't want you to journey there. 
So we need to figure out why does God specifically name these places? The first one he names is a place called Bethel. Now, most of us know a little bit about Bethel. We've heard that name before. But let's kind of look at what happened at Bethel. And more than this happened, but this is one of the major things that happened at Bethel. And it's found in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob is basically... um, kind of experiencing some things. He's, he's left uh, Esau, and, and so we're getting ready to see that reunion going on. But basically, in, in Genesis 28, we see something really cool happen to Jacob. And this is what it says. At sundown, he, meaning Jacob, arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and laid down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the staircase. At the top of the staircase stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and to all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord was in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. And this is important here. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. So obviously some of us know this story. It's the story of Jacob having this dream of the stairway up to heaven. And he has this amazing encounter with God. It's very special. It's very important in his life. It's a very momentous moment. And after this happens, he takes the stone and he erects it up and he makes it a memorial pillar. Basically a memorial of this moment in his life. It's very cool. Okay. So this is Bethel. Okay, now let's continue on. Let's look at Gilgal. Gilgal is another important place in the history and in the story of Israel. In Joshua 4, 1 through 6a, it says this. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Let me stop here real quick and kind of let you know where we're at. Okay, basically, uh, this, the 40 years has taken place after the, the spies have gone in and, and they were kept out of the promised land by God because of their disobedience. Okay, and so now they're getting ready to go and take the land. And before they do that, God opens the Jordan River and they walk through on dry ground. That's where we're at in the story. Okay, so he says, Now choose 12. 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of your Lord, your God. Each of you must pick up one of the stones and carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now it's important in six. We will use these stones to build a memorial. Now look at 20. We jump all the way. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua picked up the 12 stones, 
taken from the Jordan River. So in this part of this story, we see something amazing happen. God has parted not, uh, the, the Jordan River and he's had each individual go down and pick up a stone. And basically, he take, they take the stones and they set up basically a memorial at Gilgal. They don't do it at the river. They do it at Gilgal, which is kind of their base of operations throughout the conquering of Canaan and the Promised Land. Okay. Now what we have to understand here is this is something important we catch. God commands them to do this. Okay. God says, you do, Joshua doesn't say, hey guys, while we're in the middle of the river, let's pick up some stones and let's do this. God commands them to do this and they obey. Okay. So that's, and other things happen there, but that's kind of one of the major stories that happen at Gilgal. Now, the last one he mentions is Beersheba. Okay, and Beersheba, a couple things happened there. And I've actually listed two things in Genesis. In Genesis 26, it says this. It says, from there, he went up to Beersheba. He being Isaac, okay? So we have to know who we're talking about. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and will multiply your offsprings for my servant, Abraham's sake. And this is important. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent. Then Jacob, okay, there we go. There we go. Oh, slow down. Good. <laughs> it was moving quick. It's okay. Okay, no, you're good. Don't worry about it. Now, let's look at Genesis 46, okay? Again, so Israel set out with all that was his. Now, Israel here is referring to not to the nation, but to Jacob. At this point, God has changed his name to Israel, and so this is who he's talking about. Okay, so Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, here am I, he replied. Now let's go on to verse 3. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And so in this portion of scripture, where we see is, is another instance where God meets with, with Jacob and has this moment with him. And, and it's a very important thing. It's where basically he's getting ready to take his whole family down to Egypt. And uh, God gives him a promise that basically, hey, uh, I'll take you out again, which eventually does happen later uh, in, in Exodus. But what's interesting about Bo, all of these places is all of these places have a very important thing that takes place. They, they, they have an encounter with God that is very, very special and very, very important and very, very uh, uh, important to what basically God is doing on their journey as a nation. But here in Amos, we see God going, listen, I'm not there. Why does he talk like this? Why is he sharing this? Well, one of the reasons is because the Israelites at this time when Amos is speaking this through God is basically one of the things they were doing is they were pilgrimaging. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what it was. Yeah. All the way to, eat, or to these places to have these, these encounters with God. And God is saying, listen, folks, I'm not there. You're not going to find me in the past. You're going to find me in the present. You're going to find me in this moment. And here's what we need to understand here. It's not about remembering the past. It's not even about enjoying those memories and thinking about what God has done. God doesn't say anything about, hey, go down and tear down the memorials. 
He, a lot of times, is the one that asked them to do that. But he is saying, listen, I am moving forward. I am doing a new thing. I want you to see that I am not in those places. Seek me. Seek me. And what's great about that is when God says to seek him, we can find him. But it's important here in this portion of scripture that we understand where God is and where in some ways God isn't. Now, I know that God is everywhere and God can meet us in all places, but we have to understand something. We can't dwell in the things that God has done. We can remember them. We can be excited about them. We can talk about them. Listen, I hope that you can look at me in the face and say, I remember when I was saved. I remember when I was baptized in the Spirit. I remember when my kids. All those are wonderful memories. All those are so important. But listen, they're not going to be life-giving enough to you. Okay? Every single day, spiritually speaking, God wants to give you something new, something more to chew on, something more to experience, and it's important that we understand that. In your notes, I put this, and this is what we need to understand. If we obsess over what God did last, we'll miss what he wants to do next. God, God's at work right here, right now. God's always doing something brand new spanking new. Let's look at Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, we see this from God through his prophet Isaiah. He says this, forget the former things. Do not, again, dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing. I want to do something new. Okay? It's interesting here that God says, literally, forget the former things. Forget them. Move on with me. I have something new for you to experience. I have something new that I want to do. Listen, I am so thankful that God does new things. I'm so thankful that God desires to do new things in you and in me. I love the fact that as Jesus is sitting there at the Last Supper, he communicates the concept of a new covenant, a new promise, a new thing that God is going to do through him. It's important that we catch this. But we also have got to remember that word that I used on purpose. We've got to remember that word dwell. Because he uses it here. Do not dwell on the past. And we can do that in so many different ways. And one of the ways that we can do that I want to talk about real quickly is dwelling on the mistakes that we have made in the past. We're all, we're all not perfect. We've all done things that we regret. I, if you're like me, and, and I don't know if you are, but, but I am much more uh, attuned to my failures and the things that I've messed up in than the things that I've done well. I can, I can look at my life and I can look at um, you know, things that I've maybe even in my ministry and things that are not in my ministry, and I am much better at telling you about the kids, maybe in my youth group, that I didn't do a very good job with than the ones that I did. I can, I can, I can, remind, I can tell myself when I've, when I've, when I've messed up with my, with my son or when I've messed up with, with my wife and I haven't done the things that I should. Or, or I remember, you know, I, I don't remember the times when I was a teenager that I did the right thing to my par- you know, with my parents, but I sure remember the mistakes I made. 
I sure remember the things that I did that, that were problematic. And that's what the dwelling on that past can be so devastating to us. Because what we tend to do is when God comes and God says, listen, I want to do a new thing in you and through you. I want you to forget the former things and enjoy the new things that I have. We tend to pull back and we tend to pull back because we're looking at the past. But God, don't you know this? Don't you know that? I can't do this because I can't do this. I can't. And all that past comes back up. You know what? If you look at scripture, as we look at it, one of the things that I've noticed is when you really look at who God chooses to use, it's not necessarily the people that we would look at and go, yeah, that's the best choice. You realize that? We don't look at, uh, when I look at scripture, I'm going, God, of all the people, you chose the murderers, you chose the tax collectors, you, you, you chose the weaklings, you chose the, the people that were afraid, you, you, you chose all the people that made all the excuses. Why does God do that? I think in some ways it's because God looks and goes, listen, if you can get past your past and let me control your present and your future, I can use you to do amazing things. But there's times where we just live there. We just dwell there. Maybe it, it's hurts that we've had or things that people have done to us. And so we won't trust or we won't love or we won't open ourselves up to those things because we just can't let go. We live there. It's kind of like we, we make it our address. You know what I mean? It's, it's where we live. It's where they forward our mail. And God here is wanting us to say, listen, you need to get past these things. I want to do something new in you and through you. And it's so important that we catch that. Number two. So then let's look at this. Because, again, I don't think what God is saying here is the past is the problem. The past doesn't seem to be the problem. It's dwelling on the past that seems to be the problem. So let's look instead at what is the true purpose of this past. What is the purpose of this? Because we do see God doing that. We do see God saying, listen, I want you to build these things as a reminder. I want you to do these things. Let's look at Joshua. Let's go back to Joshua 4. Now, in Joshua 4, we kind of pick up the story again of basically them. Um, they just crossed the, the Jordan. And now they've, they've built, they're going to build this, this memorial and things like that. So let's look at what this is. This is what we find in Joshua 4, 20 through 24. So it, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River, okay? Then Joshua said to the Israelites, okay? So here we have this situation where I believe now we're going to see God's idea of purpose for the past, okay? And I think if we can keep the past in its proper place, everything works the way it's supposed to. Kind of like we have to understand God knows what he's doing and we can follow his plan for things. Everything works out more effectively. So this is what it says. Then Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Okay? I love how kids have not changed over the thousands of years, you know. Kids, you, you, you're driving someplace. What's that? I, wh why do they do that? Why is that there? What, the, the kids are the same, and, they, and so they ask that question. What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. 
He said, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. So let's look at this. Let's use this portion of scripture and let's dissect it to see what the true purpose of the past is. The first one is so young ones can know God is faithful. So young ones, listen, I I did this on purpose. I didn't write the word children. I wrote the word young ones, okay? Because it's more than just your little kid or your little grandkid that I think God is speaking of here. I think God is also speaking about those who are new to the faith. Those that have not had a long experience with Jesus and they've maybe just been saved. And so they're young in their faith. And God has allowed these things so that they can know that God is faithful. Look what Joshua says. When your children ask, you can tell them what God has I'd love to hear stories about people that'll say, oh, I remember when this happened. You know, they'll come, I'll be going through something difficult or, or I'll, I'll know somebody that's going through something difficult and, and, and those people will come to me and they'll go, hey, listen, I know you're going through a hard time right now, but there was a time not too long ago where I was found, I was in the same place and God was faithful and God met my need and God helped me in that moment. It's an opportunity for us to remind ourselves and each other and the young ones that God is faithful. That God will accomplish what he promised. Hey, listen, can I, can, I, can I share something with you? We kind of talked about this a little bit last night in, in our community group. But, but I just feel like it, it fits here because some of the things we talked about last night and some of the things that have been kind of rolling around in my head when it comes to this. Listen, talk to your kids about Jesus. And you go, well, well I, I do. No, no, no. Let it be on your lips a lot. Let it be something that comes a lot. You you got grandkids. Let it be on your lips to share those things a lot. Okay? It's interesting here that we see it in Deuteronomy and we see it here, this concept that God is trying to get us to understand about being able to share all that God has done. So we don't forget the past. We don't go, oh, that's, that's not relevant. It is so we can share it and express the faithfulness of God to those that maybe haven't experienced it for themselves quite yet. So it's very cool. Number two, number two. So unbelievers can know God is powerful. So unbelievers can know that God is powerful. In this portion of scripture, he says that. He says, so basically all the nations will know. All the nations will know. So it's, it's a situation where it's not just sharing Jesus and what he has done in our lives with those that maybe know Jesus, but it's also expressing those things to those that don't know Jesus. Listen, God sometimes will do something amazing in your life for you and for those that are around you so you can share it with them. So you can look at them and say, hey, you're with that person at work or you're, you're dealing with something and you know they're going through something hard. And you know they don't know Jesus, but you can share with them the power of God. Hey, I remember, I'm so sorry that your, 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 your family member is sick and not doing well. But I know there was a time in my body where I was sick and God came and he miraculously touched me and healed my body. And I know he can do the same for you. That'll challenge people. That'll wake them up a little bit to the idea that, hey, God is real and God is powerful. And that is something that took place then. 
We bring it to memory. We, we understand it and we talk about it to allow it to be something that hopefully will change their perspective and understand that God is powerful. And then the final one, so that you, and now we're talking about us personally, so you can know, obey, and worship God with profound awe and reverence. I love to remember what God has done because it just, sometimes it just blows me out of the water. You know, one of the great things about looking back and remembering and, and, and thinking back about what God has done is we have a broader perspective then, okay? One of the things that I always think about in the Bible that, that, that really makes me appreciate all the more some of the things that those guys did is we know the end of the story. Literally, we know the end of the story. I mean, like, not when the Bible ends, but we know when it's all said and done what God is going to do. These people were living it. These people were in the middle of this story. And so the faith that they displayed, they're displaying it not knowing how it's going to end up. And the way that they handle those moments and the way that they do those things. And sometimes what's great about the past is we can look back in our lives and go, yes, I remember when God, when this was happening. And I remember how God did this. God, you're so good. God, you're so great. God, you're so amazing. God, you met me then and you'll meet me now. It's so important. It's so important. So, so here's what I wrote. And I wrote this so that we would understand and so we could look at this and come back to it. But this is what it says. It's okay. Because I don't want, listen, I don't want us to walk out of here with this false understanding that the past is bad. Okay? Look, I, I remember what I got when I was six years old for Christmas. I remember what I was wearing. I'm one of those weirdos, you know. Like, I can remember things that are just, like, why do you remember those things? And, and I, I, I don't know. I like the past. I enjoy the past. I was the kid in, in high school that was not listening to the, the, the more contemporary music. I was listening to Frank Sinatra, okay? You get me? Okay, I was the weird one. I like some of those things. The past here isn't the problem. Because as we can see... There is, when we put the past in its proper place, it's got a major, major effect on our lives and the lives of people around us. So here, we got to understand, the problem here, it's okay to go ahead and build altars and memorials to mark holy moments in the past. Let's stop there. Remember, sometimes God told them to do this. He said, do it so you can remember. Do this so that you can see these things. And remember to, to, to see these things. So it's not, that's not the problem. Okay? That's not the issue. Okay? But the purpose, and this is, this is what I want us to get. Okay? But the purpose of altars and memorials is to remind us of God's faithfulness in the past. So we have the faith to believe in what he will do next. Listen. The whole point of this. The way we have to defeat the spirit of the past is to not forget the past, not think the past was wrong or stupid or dumb or, or out of touch. What we want to do is have those moments, remember those things, but allow those things to encourage us for today and the future. We don't dwell there. We don't live there. We don't express this, oh boy, if things were just the way they used to be. 
You know what I've always found about that comment? There's always somebody older, or maybe now, that, you know, or they, they've been gone, that, that, that the time that you think were the good old days, they were saying the same thing. You get what I mean? It's like, you know, we talk about, oh, the good old days. I remember this, and I remember that, and I remember this. And there were people that when those good old days were happening, were saying the same thing about your good old days. The issue here is not looking at those things and thinking they're worthless. They're not in any way, shape, or form. But why are they there? They're there to give us the strength and the faith to be ready for what God is doing in this moment. And if we dwell there, if we live there, if we express those things, we can miss what God is wanting to do today. Because here's the beauty about God. God is wanting to do something now. God is wanting to do something in this moment and in the future. Listen, we look at scripture. We look at, we look at the prophecy that God says, God's not finished yet, folks. God is still moving. God is still doing things. And listen, God is going to at times do things differently than he did when I was a kid. And that's beautiful. And that's awesome. Why? Because God knows what he's doing. Because God desires to do those things. I love when that that portion of scripture where Jesus makes this comment. He says, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Do you know why? why? Why don't you put new wine in old wineskins? It's real simple. Because new wine is referring to wine that hasn't fermented yet. And when wine ferments, it expands. And an old wineskin is hard. It is, it is lost its ability to move. And it's become hard. And you put that new wine in it, and when that wine begins to expand, and that wine begins to do what it needs to do, it'll burst the bag open. So what do you do? What does Jesus say? You put new wine in a new wineskin so that as the wine ferments, that the bag is soft enough to expand with it. And then you use the wine. You pour that wine out. It's interesting that a lot of times we get so frustrated with God in our churches and in our lives and we say, God, why won't you pour out? God, why won't you bring that new wine, that that wine that we a lot of times see in Scripture uh, of of representing the Holy Spirit? Why aren't you doing? Why aren't you this? Or why aren't you? And and honestly, I think sometimes God would look at us in in a moment of honesty and say, because you're trying to put new wine in old wineskins. And what's so beautiful about this, and sometimes we miss it, is Jesus makes the comment when he talks about this. He says, not only does it ruin the new wine, but it destroys the bag. It destroys the wineskin. God cares about both. He cares about both. And so sometimes we have to understand that. Sometimes we have to get that. In Philippians 4, this is what it says. This is Paul writing. And if the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. But this is what Paul says. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. 
Okay? But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I press on. It's an interesting statement. It's an interesting understanding here because if there's anybody, if you think about it, that, that could have had a problem with the past, it's Paul. You think about Paul, and sometimes it's hard to remember this because we tend to, to turn these characters and these people into stone statues. Okay? We turn them into the marble men, and we forget that they had this, this they, they were human. And I haven't seen it, okay? I know that I'm not a big movie guy, but I know recently they, they put out a movie on Paul's life. I know that um, the guy that played Jesus in The Passion, I think he, he didn't play Paul, I think he played Luke. I haven't seen it, but, but uh, maybe some of you have. But I, from what I understand, um, one of the things that Paul is dealing with, and he's, he's getting ready to, to go to be executed, okay? And Paul is kind of reliving his life. And so they kind of use this moment as he's kind of looking back on his life and things like that. And one of the things that they really focus in on is the fact that of all the things that Paul did that were bad. <laughs> From what I understand, they show scenes where, you know, not, not graphically, I don't, I don't think, but basically where he's reliving that thought of, of pulling men and women and children and, and taking them to, to you know, some of, killing some of them and, 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 and just dealing with those memories and those thoughts. Um, from what I understand, um, there's a scene where, where he's remembering how he stood by and, and approves of the stoning of Stephen. Man, the past can be a strong thing we have to conquer. Thankfully, Paul, even though you can see in his writings these, these comments of, of, of man, I w- I'm the worst of sinners. You know what was interesting in Paul's life, what he was really communicating was, was something of this nature. If God can save me with my horrible, terrible past, he can do it for anybody. But listen, so many times in our churches and so many times in our lives, we let the past control and conquer us. We want to dwell there. We want to live there. And God wants to come to us and say, listen, listen. Yeah, that past may have been hard. Or, or here's the, maybe that past was glorious. But I want to do something new. I want to do something great. I want to do something amazing today and in the future. And God wants us to open our hearts to that. God wants us to open up and, and let go of those things that, that may be holding us back and instead press on towards what God is doing now. 
to let those memories come, and, but to let those memories in that past stay where they belong, in the place they belong, as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Basically, this concept, God did it then, and I'll know he'll do it today. And to grab a hold of that. So let's, let's do this. Can we just close our eyes? Let's pray. Because I want to... I want to pray for us and and with us because this this is a big one for a lot of people. And God, again, I don't think God wants to erase your memory banks. But I do think that God wants to place them where they belong. He wants to place them in the place that they belong. Because God so desires to do something amazing in our church and in our life. But God is very clear. God says to seek him, not the memory of him, not the memory of a place, not not in the mistakes that we have made, Remember, what we see here, this is a lament. This is, this is a cry. This is a funeral song. And God is calling us back to life. And what does he say? He says to get back to life, you've got to find me, not in the past. Not in the mess-ups of the past and not in the glories of the past. But in this moment, seek me now. Seek me and live. God didn't say I was. He said I am. And we need to always understand that. And so Father we come to you right now. And Father we just look to you. Because God. I don't believe that you're calling us as a people or as a church. To go to the memories and tear down the the memorials. I think those are important things. I think that it can be an important thing in in the way we we, we raise our kids and our grandkids and and the way we we communicate to unbelievers in the way that you, you fulfill in us and show us. Those are special moments and they're beautiful. But God, you and all that we see, All that we see in scripture, it's like this constant reminder, I'm doing something new. The old is gone. The the new has come. Behold, all old things. Even even in in Revelation, even in the end, we see this concept of I will make all things new. We should embrace the new because you have shown us that's how you do things. You're not the God of just the past. You're the God of the present and of the future. And God, that's awesome. But God, sometimes we allow the past to conquer us. Sometimes we allow our past, uh, whether good or bad, to kind of come in. And and we kind of begin to dwell there. We begin to live there. We begin to just think that, that, God, you can't do something through me. You can't do something different. If God, if you don't pour out your spirit this way, it's almost like it doesn't count. And God... That's putting us in a place that we never should be. That's putting us and thinking our plan and our wisdom is better than yours. Bottom line, that's just pride. 
And God, we don't want to live that way. You know what's best. And so, Father, I pray that in our lives, we would begin to put the past in its proper place. Yes, we messed up. But, Father, you have forgiven us. Behold, the old is gone. You make all things new. Father, for things that you have done spiritually, things that are good. Father, I pray that those memorials would be special places. Father, I pray that those memories would be held dear. But they wouldn't hold us back on what you desire to do today in us. Because God, you have something new for every single person that's here. You are that big and you are that strong that you can reveal something you never have. And I don't want us and I don't want me to miss that because we're dwelling on what you revealed before. So every day we press on. Every day we press forward as we work, as we, as we work to, to embrace who you are what you want to do so God help us because this is a hard one for us it's difficult at times but God with you with your help we can conquer this spirit of the past put it where it belongs and enjoy what you have for us today and tomorrow we love you and we thank you let's all stand John's going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus I bring my heart to you I bring my